257th episode of Barbershop Sports Talk with me, your host, Daryl D. Lane. As always, I want to thank you all for tuning in, whether it be via Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, or whichever podcasting app or platform you are listening to me via. Being recorded from Buffalo, New York, going to have a great podcast today. Going to have Michael Casagrande. He covers the Alabama Crimson Tide for Alabama.com. We have a great conversation, a great interview. I've been saving this pod up in the vaults for about six to seven days. Uh, I recorded, I pre-recorded this six to seven days from when it's being released right now. And uh, we dived into a lot of stuff. We talked a little bit about if he thought Alabama would actually play this year, right? Because COVID started. We also got into the Alabama football season as a whole. We talked about guys like Mac Jones, Devontae Smith, uh, some of just the history of Alabama, Nick Saban, comparing him to Bear Bryant. We get into a lot of stuff. Even at the end, I think we, we compared... Uh, Alabama, this is one of the greatest teams in Alabama history, but in uh, just college football recent history, right? You have the LSU team from last year. How does this Alabama team, how did it compare? How much better was it than the Floridas that they played, the A&Ms that they played, the Ohio States that they played, the Notre Dames that they played? So we get into all that as well. So great interview, great conversation, uh, and that's what we're going to have on the docket today. Also, uh, I'm going to uh, give an apology to my guy, Josh Allen. Uh, the Bills, their season is over. Uh, they lost the Kansas City Chiefs a couple weeks ago, and I, I, I want to say some things about Josh Allen, too, before we get into that. So that's what we're going to have on the podcast for today. It's going to be a little bit shorter than the norm, and just so everybody knows, as always on Friday, me and Ben Karen, we're going to bring it, we're going to bring the heat, host the Sports Wilder podcast, and we are going to uh, give our predictions for the Super Bowl, uh, and we'll have some other fun stuff to talk about as well as... Uh, me and Ben always do. But I'm going to stop you guys right here, right now, as I always do. If this is your first time listening to the pot, thank you. But what I'm going to need you to do right now is follow and subscribe right now. Also, what I'm going to ask you to do is share this podcast with your friends and your family, your coworkers, whether it be via social media, whether it be posting it on your Reddit boards, uh, your, Reddit, uh, your Reddit threads, uh, your me- any message boards, uh, Facebook groups. Uh, you have a work text chain. You have a family text chain. Uh, email blast. Share this podcast with as many people as you possibly can, whether it be via any of those avenues or anything else you may think of or word of mouth. We're trying to grow this thing and we're producing great content daily, three days a week on the NFL the NBA and college football. So if you know people who are into that and who love it and who enjoy that type of content, this is definitely the place, uh, definitely the place for them. Also, uh, if you're on Apple or iTunes, leave a five-star review. And right, if you don't have anything nice to say, yay, my podcast is like, how the hell could that happen? How could you not like Daryl D. Lane's sports podcast, Barbershop Sports Talk? But if you don't, then take a page out of what your mama told you. If you don't have anything nice to say, don't say it at all. Also, uh, subscribe to my YouTube channel. Just type in Daryl Lane and you will be able to find it. I post clips from this very podcast right here every day just to make it easier for you guys to consume. Also, my syndicate podcast, Outside the Shop, airs on YouTube all the time as well. And as we're talking about my syndicate podcast, Outside the Shop, it airs on Twitter. So follow my Twitter as well. At Night Train underscore Lane. I'll say it again. At Night Train underscore Lane. My syndicate podcast, Outside the Shop. It airs on there via Twitter slash Periscope. Also, I post my podcasts on there and uh, talk about sports. So definitely follow my Twitter. Again, it's at Night Train underscore Lane. And with all that, kind of next up the break on Barbershop Sports Talk, I'm going to give you guys a clip. It's an old audio from about two to, two to three years ago, actually, uh, sophomore year of college. My first year doing the podcast when the Buffalo Bills drafted Josh Allen. And I'm going to let it play after the break. And then after it plays, I'm going to give an apology to Josh. So that's going to come up. Coming up next after the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. Don't you throw it in the anchor's trade, white and Michael Hyde with innocence. Star Lotto, Louis 
The NFL Draft was this Thursday, and I got opinions on that. And that is where we are going to start because the Bills. I'm a Bills fan. It's no secret. I'm from Buffalo, Amherst to be specific. Big Buffalo Bills fan. What in God's name are they doing drafting Josh Allen? Like, why? And it's funny, because first I want to start with this. Everybody knows when we talk about potential, right? And it's like, oh, he has potential, she has potential. But you know what potential is really a code word for? You haven't done anything yet. That's what potential is. I've had so many. I have a really good friend of mine that always keeps telling me, Yo, Daryl, I could have played D1. Trust me, I could have played D1. I had the potential. I just kept my head straight. I'm like, no, bro. You were a backup at Amherst and our team never won a game. You were not D1 caliber. You might have potential at all. And this kid, by the way, this kid was great in the weight room. He was squatting like 400 pounds. He was benching like 250, 230. And when he got on the field... It didn't translate. It just didn't. You know that person out at the gym? You're at the YMCA, LA Fitness, your local gym, right? You see him and they're like, they're jacked. That guy is jacked. Strong, can bench press like 400 pounds, can squat 500, he's deadlifting like 1,000, hang cleaning like 315. The person's in great shape, great cardio. Plus, they're a really nice guy. They're a really nice person. You like them. And then you see that person on the field Friday, whether it's high school football or Saturday, if it's college football, or maybe it so happens that the person's in the NFL. Sunday football. You realize that person can't play a lick. A lick. Now, I don't want to condemn Josh Allen I want to give this guy a chance I honestly do but let me start off by saying this Josh Allen will not be better than Baker Mayfield Sam Darnold Josh Rosen or Lamar Jackson hell I'm not even sure if he's going to be better than Mason Rudolph first things first He is not Cam Newton. I know people want to make the comparisons because he's a big, strong quarterback. And Cam Newton was a big, strong quarterback. Sean McDermott, the Buffalo Bills head coach, he comes under the Ron Rivera coaching tree. And Ron Rivera got Cam Newton. So there's a little bit of a correlation there. Let let me put this out there, folks. Josh Allen ain't Cam Newton. Cam Newton won a national championship. He tore up the SEC, at the time the toughest conference in college football, by far. He lit up Alabama, Nick Saban's defense, that has first-round picks littered all over it. And Josh Allen was struggling, playing in a non-Power 5 conference. Non-Power 5. It wasn't the SEC, the Big 10, the Big 12, the ACC, or the Pac-12. wasn't any of them. Not a Power 5 conference, and he struggled. So let me ask you this now. What has Josh Allen done to justify being a first-round pick, being drafted 7th overall? What has he done to justify? He's not accurate. Only completed 57, 56% of his passes. And he wasn't that, and he was even less accurate against even more subpar competition. He had a game where he was struggling to throw for 37% against teams like Oregon, Hawaii. He struggled against Michigan, Central Michigan. These are all lower-tier Division I teams. He was drafted solely on potential. He has a rocket arm. He's a big guy. And he looks like the pro- prototypical pocket quarterback. I was talking to my friend Mason. He's like, Darrell, why aren't you excited that they got Josh Allen? He's big. And I'm like... What is that supposed to mean? He's big. I want to. I want somebody that can play. Either he's like Daryl. He didn't have any talent at Wyoming. Well, you want to know what? When you are the best athlete on the field, let's go with this. 
You, he was the best athlete on the field every game he played, and he struggled in a subpar conference. You think he's just going to magically get better against people that are just as lighter, just as big, just as strong, just as powerful as him when he's in the NFL? When he couldn't do it against people from Hawaii? You think he's going to be able to do it from people in Jacksonville? If he can't complete 50% of his passes against Oregon, what makes you think he's going to be able to throw a touchdown on Jalen Ramsey? What makes you think that? Let's look at Josh Allen's stats. 56.3% of his passes completed. That's 95th in the country. 127.8 passer rating. 82nd in the country. 6.7 yards per attempt. 93rd in the country. How does that justify a quarterback being drafted in the first round? Statistically, he was like the 90th best quarterback in, in college football. What about that Screams franchise quarterback? His numbers are mediocre, and he played in a bad conference just to top it off. Josh Allen only dominated three games, three games where he played exceptionally well. A game against Gardner-Webb, who had a 1-10 record. A game against Utah State, who had a 6-7 record. And a game against Air Force, who had a 5-7 record. Those are all pitiful teams that he dominated. Pitiful teams. Talking to somebody else, uh, Brian Fulford, a kid I used to play football with back in high school. I was like, what's the big deal about Josh? I was like, his name's Josh Allen. He has two first names. And I'm like, <laughs> I guess I can't dispute that. I guess I can't dispute that he has two that he has two first names. Josh Allen. That's still right now the only thing the man has going for him. Having a big arm is overrated in the NFL. Tom Brady, does he have a big arm? The greatest quarterback ever. Five Super Bowl rings. No, Tom Brady doesn't have a big arm, a huge arm. Jared Goff, the quarterback that's probably shown the most improvement from last year to this year. Jared Goff doesn't really have a big arm. Kirk Cousins, the highest quarterback paid ever. Does Kirk Cousins have a big arm? No. Matt Ryan, the MVP last year. Does Matt Ryan have a huge arm? No. Drew Brees, one of the most prolific quarterbacks of this era. One of the most prolific quarterbacks ever. Does he have a huge arm? No. Peyton Manning, one of the greatest statistical quarterbacks ever. Five regular season MVPs just dominate the game. Does Peyton Manning have a big arm? I don't think so. There is credence, the people that support Josh Allen, that might say he didn't have the greatest talent that way, which he didn't. I think he lost his starting center and he lost his top three receivers to the NFL going from his junior to his senior year. I mean, his sophomore for his junior, excuse me. But when he's in Buffalo, he's not going to have this great surplus of offensive talent. The offensive line is in shambles. Richie Incognito, one of our best, one of the Buffalo Bills' best offensive linemen, is contemplating retirement, not retirement. You don't know if he's going to be in the fold. Then you have Eric Wood, who's been a manstay for the last decade, who's retiring. They trade a Cordy Glenn to get a first-round pick from the Cincinnati Bengals. This offense, the Buffalo Bills offensive line is coming into shambles coming into this year. I can make an argument. Their best receiver is LaShawn McCoy. Calvin Benjamin, their number one receiver right now, can't separate. He can't separate. And he can't get down the field. He's not great at getting down the field, which is what you would want for Josh Allen being this big pocket quarterback to throw up 40, 50 yards down the field. The Buffalo Bills just drafted a quarterback that won't, that cannot step foot on the field for two years minimum. Two years minimum. He will should not step on the field. There's no way you can pit this person on the field. Because if you pit Josh Allen on the field, you want to know what's going to happen. Things are going to be flying too fast for him. He's going to get embarrassed. Remember when David Carr for the Houston got drafted number one overall by Houston? And he played? He got destroyed and it ruined his confidence. RG3 plays. He gets hurt. It ruins his confidence. Andrew Luck, as great as he was, as much as people said he was the best quarterback prospect ever since John Elway. His offensive line in Indianapolis has been in shambles. He's just punch drunk. And we're wondering if he'll be ever be the same Andrew Luck again. He's not ready to play. And for people that want to compare him, 
to Matthew Stafford because Matthew Stafford cleaned about 55, 56% of his passes just like Josh Allen. Matthew Stafford did that in the SEC. Let me say one more time, the Southeastern Conference, one of the greatest conferences, the best conference at the time in college football, still arguably the greatest conference now. Josh Allen, God bless him. My Uncle David, I was talking to him on Thursday night. He said, Daryl, trust the process. Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean, they have gotten the Buffalo Bills to a point where they've been at 17 years of bleeding. Got us our first playoff, our first playoff berth. But you want to know what? That does not mean they are uh, benign for my criticism. <laughs> it does not mean that. Listen. As much as I'm thankful Sean McDermott at them, they got us to the playoffs. They didn't win a playoff game. The Buffalo Bills didn't win a playoff game. You want to know what? We questioned Bill Belichick, and Bill Belichick has five Lombardis. And we questioned Bill Belichick. So, yes, I will question Sean McDermott until he starts bringing some hardware into Buffalo. Then I will not question Sean McDermott. But I'm not gonna, you're not going to be absent from my criticism just because you went to the playoffs and lost to the Jacksonville Jaguars in the wildcard round. It's not how it works. Okay. Coming up next on Barbershop Sports Talk, we're going to have Brady Kyle with us. We're going to talk a lot about the NBA playoffs. Coming up next on Barbershop Sports Talk. Wow. Listening to that clip brings back uh, some old memories, but here, here's what I want to say. Hey, Josh, Josh Allen, I am sorry. From the deepest pits of my soul and my heart. I was wrong. You can play. Things I said that was wrong, and I and I have this written down. I said could couldn't start two years minimum in the NFL. I was wrong. Josh was starting by his rookie year. Uh, it wasn't always pretty, his rookie year. Um, the Bills weren't very good offensively. Uh, the second year, you could see he got better. I think he was 20 touchdowns, 9 interceptions. And then this year, he goes up another level. Uh, and it's interesting. I was talking to a friend, uh, Silas Garrison, friend of the show, guys. And he was talking about Deshaun for Josh Allen, right? All this crazy stuff's going on with Deshaun. And he was like, Daryl, Deshaun's had two, one more year being a top-five quarterback than Josh Allen. Josh Allen's only been a top-five quarterback for one year. Deshaun, Deshaun Watson has... Two years of being a top five quarterback. And then he said, Daryl, are we sure this year by Josh Allen it wasn't a fluke? It wasn't a blimp? It, it, it was a one and done? It was just one lucky magical year? And I said, this guy has elite physical traits for the position. Maybe this isn't luck. Maybe it's that he figured it out. I said Josh wasn't good as well, uh, which is embarrassing. Josh is very good. He was a top five quarterback in the NFL this year. Josh Allen is a very good quarterback. Uh, there's a lot of times for Buffalo this year where uh, he'd shrug off some defensive line and make darts down the field, always extending plays. Uh, not necessarily running to run, which I think we when we talk about running big, strong, athletic quarterbacks, we think, you know, they run to run when the pocket collapses. No, Josh Allen runs so he can throw. And then guys like Diggs, Gabriel Davis, Michael Beasley, these guys are running open and Josh consistently hits them. I was wrong. Uh, Josh Allen, right, he played bad competition uh, in college against my Wyoming. And that was true. That was, that was true. But you want to know what? That didn't define him as a quarterback. Elite physical traits for the position. Was with a Sean McDermott. Was with a Ryan Dayball. Was with people that believed in him and nurtured him. One of the biggest reasons for success in this league, in the NFL. Do people believe in you? Do you have the right people in place to help you succeed? It's like a child. A child from a broken home is less likely to succeed than a child with a too strong foundational, foundational uh, two-parent household, right? The love, the nurturing. He, Josh, didn't necessarily get that at Wyoming. Wasn't necessarily, maybe he's a gamer, right? You raise your level to the competition, then there's a saying. When you're the best person in a room, you need to find the new. You need to find a new room. You need to push yourself, and that's what Josh did. He got substantially better. The Josh Allen that we saw this year. From his rookie year, completely different man, completely different human being, completely different entity. Let alone the Josh Allen that we saw completing 50% 50 of his passes at Wyoming. Different man, different human, different game. He's evolved. Here's what I really misunderstood. The coaching, like I said, right? McDermott. I wasn't always a big fan of McDermott. Congrats, Sean McDermott. You have done a great job. 
Brian Dable, great job. Sometimes when you're the best person in the room, you need to find a new room. Like I said, Josh did that. He found a new room in Buffalo with people every day. You see the development him and Stephon Diggs made. Uh, You're right. He never played in the SEC. Josh Allen never played in the SEC. But you want to know what? There's a guy named Josh Rosen. And by the way, I believe uh, Josh Rosen was a five-star, five-star quarterback coming out of high school. Highly touted, highly allotted. Everybody talked about Josh Rosen. Josh Rosen's a backup. He's been on three and 14 different teams. Same draft class. Josh Allen just brought the Buffalo Bills to their first AFC Championship game since 1993, folks. My whole life, I have never seen the Buffalo Bills be good. Never. And I never thought Josh Allen, I compared Josh Allen to EJ Manuel. I was wrong. I was wrong. Josh Allen is here to stay. And when people told me Deshaun Watson for Josh Allen, I'm getting a little passionate about this right now. I'm looking, I'm like, no, that's my quarterback. I got a Josh Allen jersey. I don't even believe in wearing jerseys. You know, I've never liked the principle of, you know, you're wearing another man's name on your back. But, you know, it's Josh, man. Josh is the fabric of the city. He is this leader. He's the leader. He is the team. What him and Diggs have done with Sean McDermott, this program, it is special. This is my team. And Josh Allen, number 17, is my quarterback. He's my quarterback. And you want to know, he's not Patrick Mahomes. He's not Patrick Mahomes. He's not Aaron Rodgers. He's not Russell Wilson. He might not even be Deshaun Watson. But he's my guy. And I know that one day he can get to the point where he's as good as those guys. If he's not there already. I'm sorry, Josh Allen. Now, could him next, after the break on Barbershop Sports Talk, I'm going to get to the interview I have with Michael Casagrande, who covers the Alabama Crimson Tide for the AL.com. Got our next head of the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. Casagrande, he covers the Alabama football team for AL.com. How are you doing, Michael? I'm doing fine. How's everything with you? I am doing great. So first, what I want to ask you is this. When we start coming into this year, uh, did you think there would be a college football season? Because it took a lot of work to get this thing done. Right, yeah, no, I, I, I was the first to say I didn't think it was going to happen going back to July, um, to August. Didn't think it was going to happen. Didn't think it was maybe the right idea, the right move at the time. Um, and if they did start, I didn't see a real path to, to finishing a season and getting to the postseason, the playoffs, the bowl games. It just, uh, at the time, it just seemed like a, a, a hill, a mountain too high to climb with the way that cases were surging, students coming back to campus, the logistical hurdles they had to climb, I just, it, it didn't seem like it was going to happen, um, so I'd be the first to admit I was wrong about that. Were you initially, when the SEC, because it seemed like from the beginning the SEC was kind of like, because at first, you know, the Pac-12 and then the Big Ten, they were kind of like, well, we're probably not going to do this. Were you kind of surprised how the SEC took the initiative and they're like, you know, we're, we're going to do this? Because at first, they were kind of talking about like, the SEC would just play their schedule and they'd just be like, hey, Clemson, hey, Ohio State, hey, all you guys, you can come here and play and play this if you want to play, but we're playing this regardless of what all you other guys do. Yeah, I mean, it's, it was a, a big round of, you know, uh, internal politics, uh, conference rivalries in a sense that with, you know, their, their rivalries on the field and there, there can be, um, you know, those kinds of tensions in, you know, the boardrooms within conference administrators, commissioners, um, not wanting to be told what to do, kind of be not want to be bullied into um, uh, a certain plan because one of their conference does it. So there was a lot of things going on behind the scenes, I'd say, that, that led to um, different leagues taking different stances on things. And, um, yeah, I think it's not surprising the SEC wanted to push forward. Um, and... Yeah, it all they all kind of fit into their normal roles and what they would have um, chosen to do uh, based on these circumstances. But yeah, I mean, it was it was a bold move at the time because there were two 
the Big Ten and the Pac-12 quickly announced they weren't going to play. And, you know, there was the, he was on the SEC uh, to make a decision. They were kind of the, you know, obviously they've been a leader in you know, on-the-field production the past, you know, decade or two. Um, so, yeah, when they said they were going to stay, ACC said they were going to stay, it kind of came down to the Big, uh, Big 12 and whether they wanted to um, either jump off or jump on. Um, and that, that was a big move uh, for them to decide they were going to play for, for everybody to kind of give uh, a 3-2, you know, conference uh, edge to those who were playing as opposed to the two who were sitting out. So I just want to go through this whole season. So at the end, you have it all culminates with Alabama dominating Ohio State. Uh, Ohio State was a team that was undefeated going into the game. They were they, they blew out a Clemson, who was number two in the country. I just want to know, how shocked were you at that outcome that Alabama kind of just steamrolled Ohio State? Uh, I don't know. If it, it was, I mean, it was kind of one of those games where I could have seen a number of scenarios playing itself out. I think the one I wouldn't have expected would be an Ohio State blowout of Alabama. But um, I guess once things got started, you can kind of see the way things were going, you could see, you know, there were unknowns about different players' health. Um, Justin Fields weren't sure about his ribs, and it didn't look like he was the same kind of mobile threat um, to take off and run. Uh, and that kind of changed the dynamic that he wasn't running the ball, and then Trey Sermon getting hurt on the first play of the game. I think that was a big factor in, in you know, the, the catalog of plays that Ohio State had at their um, disposal. Cause Sermon was probably one of the hottest players in the country coming into that game, having run for you know, 300 something yards in the Big Ten championship and having 200 something at the uh, Sugar Bowl. So I think that changed a lot of the dynamic with uh, what Ohio State was capable of. And if they, you know, it was going to be one of those games where they had to keep pace with Alabama, they had to keep uh, punching back because he knew Alabama was going to score. And Ohio State, they, um, you know, it was like a tennis match in the sense that they didn't have. You know, they couldn't break serve and they couldn't hold serve at a certain point. And when uh, Alabama was clicking the way they were in the second quarter, um, you can't really afford to fall behind like the way they did. So at the end of the game, Mac Jones kind of stated that he thought this was, you know, you know, the best team ever. Like, like he, he kind of stated that I think we're the best team ever. How, how do you think this year's Alabama team kind of compares to maybe the LSU team from last year, because I know people were saying that LSU team with Joe Burrow and Justin Jefferson and all those guys was the best team ever, or, or you know, teams in the past. Where, where do you think this Alabama team ranks all time? Yeah, it's kind of one of those things that I wrote about this um, the day after the game, that I don't really know if it matters. I mean, it's kind of these hypothetical situations where it's, there's no really way of, of testing any of these theories, so it's, it's kind of hard to, it's sometimes almost pointless to try to throw it out there, but I guess it's good for conversation. It's tough. I mean, they're statistically, offensively, they were pretty similar to LSU a year ago. Um, kind of similar in the makeup of, uh, you know, obviously uh, a strong quarterback with elite receivers surrounding them and an NFL-style running back, um, Najee Harris, instead of Edwards Alaire for LSU. So, I mean, they were kind of structurally similar. They both could test the defenses down the field with uh, you know, an accurate deep ball passer, Joe Burrow, and then Matt Jones. Um, and for, you know, I also had Jamar Chase as their elite receiver in 19, and it was Devontae Smith for Alabama. So it's, you know, it's, it's you, you could you could convince me either way. I don't know if it's, there's, there's no definitive answer between Alabama 20, LSU 19, um, they were pretty similar, um, so it's, it would probably be a very close, tightly contested game. But I mean, they played, you know, 2019. They played against each other, obviously in that regular season, and it was a you know, three-point game. So, um, so it, you know, it would have been a good, a good game. Yeah, and, you know, Mac Jones made those comments. But Mac Jones ended up declaring for this upcoming draft. I just want to know, because kind of somebody that's watched him this kind of whole year, were you shocked that he ended up declaring? No. I mean, he was considered a top uh, first-round draft pick. That's the grade he gets. I mean, that's there would, it would, with what they have coming back with everybody going pro, everyone graduating, it would have been a mistake for him to come back because he, he wouldn't have had the same 
weapons in the passing game. Uh, wouldn't have had Devontae Smith, Jalen Waddle, the guys who were, um, you know, it was a symbiotic relationship with those those group making each other look pretty good. Um, not that Mac Jones couldn't succeed without them, but you want to go while your stock is at, at the highest. And if you're a first round grade, um, that's the kind of time where Nick Saban would, you know, advises them to go pro as opposed to come back. How good do you think Mac Jones actually is? Because I think when a lot of people look at him, they're like, okay, he has all this talent, right? The Alabama had the best offensive line in college football. They have the best receivers. They have the best coach. Like, how much of this do you think is Mac Jones? Like, and not to project him to the next level, but just how good do you think he actually is? It's a tough question because, you know, it's tough to how you, how you fully evaluate how good a player is. I mean, he's, you know, he did what he could do with what he had in front of him. Um, I think he, he was – not a big-time recruit coming out of high school. wasn't the biggest guy. Um, added a lot of size um, to, to his frame once he got to Alabama. But, uh, you know, he was very accurate. You know, accuracy is going to be – accuracy is accuracy, whether you're throwing to good receivers, bad receivers, or you can put a ball in the right spot. That's, that's what they're looking for. Uh, very smart. He's a brilliant kid. Uh, got two degrees. Um, knew the playbook every possible way, knew what, you know, how to adjust the play on the fly. He was very good with the teammates, um, establishing the, the chemistry. So, uh, you know, it's hard to say how he would do with a bad team and a bad offense because he didn't have to do that at Alabama. But I didn't see anything that was uh, a glaring mark that says this guy can't succeed at the next level. So, and obviously, Mac Jones, he jumped a level because he got some time last year when Tuatag Valoa got hurt and he got a chance to play. And, and definitely, you know, you could tell that he got better from, you know, from the last snap he took against Michigan to now uh, in the bowl game last year to now when he's going full throttle this whole year. What do you attribute most to that development? Because he looked like a different guy. Because I don't think anybody was talking about him potentially being a. Uh, first rounder heading into the year. I mean, a lot of people were, weren't people speculating whether he would be the starting quarterback, like how they felt about Mac Jones. So, where do you think that came from to that development to how he got so much better? Yeah, I mean, I think he, he there's a lot of offseason work. He was known for some of the, his, his training he did, um, almost military style training when he was at home during the pandemic. Um, he had spent a lot of time with all of his receivers before this year and before the offseason developing a chemistry and a bond with them where he was a pretty popular guy in that, in that locker room so you know some of those throws he would make to Devontae Smith it was kind of one of those things where the that chemistry pays off um, in those those crucial moments but I think he was a hard worker he was always knew he was doubted by so many um, you know myself included at a certain point thinking that he wasn't going to be able to live up to you know, the offensive legacy that the two left uh, when he went pro. So uh, I think there are a lot of motivating factors for him to, to come out and say that he's not just that skinny three-star kid from, from Jacksonville who, uh, you know, isn't going to be a star. He think he wanted to, to prove a lot of things to people, and I think he did that. So you mentioned military-style training. Well, what type of stuff was he doing? Do you have any specifics of what he was doing? Uh, he was working with uh, – Name. Just working with a, a friend back home that was doing, um, you know, it was football style training, but trying to train his body to get stronger, um, you know, to be a more of a complete athlete uh, on the football field. Now, I want to go to Devontae Smith, so, right, everybody was kind of shocked with this development Matt Jones made. But I, I think if you told people before the year that, you know, and people like Devontae Smith, but I think if you told most people that Devontae Smith this you know, what is he, like 5'9", uh, 80, that this guy guy is going to be uh, the Heisman Trophy winner uh, and be the AP College Football Player of the Year and have all these awards. Uh, I, I think that might have shocked some people because you typically don't see that, particularly, you know, it's a quarterback award for the Heisman, and then secondary, it's a running back award. You don't typically see wide receivers get that award. So... Obviously, uh, Devontae Smith undoubtedly deserved it, was the best player in college football, but it, it kind of seemed like he jumped up a level himself. And what, what do you attribute that to? Yeah, well, I mean, it, it's surprising to, to win a Heisman as a receiver. It's, you know, it's only the third time, you know, in the modern era, first time since Desmond Howard in 91. But, you know, you could see him as a, you know, he had some very good years at Alabama. It was always overshadowed in a sense by the Jerry Judys, Henry Ruggs, um, 
when he was here because they all came in the same class together. But you could tell he had the hands, he had the strongest hands of that group, uh, very sharp route runner, fast. He kind of had a little bit of all the tools. So it wasn't shocking that he had a big season. He had three big seasons before uh, this year. Obviously caught that game-winning pass in the championship game as a freshman, but was you know a leader in, on, in touchdown receptions a year ago. Um, in that group of Jerry, Judy, Henry, Ruggs, and Waddle. So it wasn't a shock to see him uh, break out, maybe not to the same extent that he was going to be smashing every record and, uh, you know, 200-yard games uh, pretty much all season. But, uh, you know, he, he's, he might be undersized. I think he uses that. Like Mac Jones, like Mac Jones, he uses that as motivation, uh, knowing that there's, there's a lot of doubt about his build, his frame, and he wants to prove he can, you know, run across the middle, that he can play a physical game, even though he's not built like a um, traditional star receiver. How do you think he compares the guys like Henry Ruggs and Jerry Judy and Jalen Waddle when they were all at Alabama? Because you mentioned you thought he had the strongest hands of the bunch. How do you think he compares to those guys? He's, I've always said he's kind of a composite of a lot of those guys, but... He might not be the fastest of that group, and he's definitely not the fastest of between Waddle and, and Ruggs, but he's very fast. Uh, he's, he's, got, he's a very good route runner. Uh, where Judy was probably the most precise route runner of that group, where he would probably be right behind there. But his, his hands, I think, always stood out that he could catch passes and in tight places, um, hold on to low passes, high passes, just very strong fingertips um, to catch a difficult pass, so I think that's kind of where he stood out among that group. And also, when you kind of compare him to other Bama receivers, because in the Nick Saban era, right, you have Julio Jones, you have guys like Amari Cooper, how do you think he compares to them? You know, it's, it's a conversation we've had where it's, it's, it's tough to say exactly how those guys would have uh, performed in an offense that was structured this way. I mean, uh, Julio Jones was here back when Greg McElroy was his quarterback, you know, fine quarterback, but kind of the epitome of the game manager who wasn't going to, um, they weren't going to take too many risks throwing the ball. It was mostly handing it to Mark Ingram, to, to Trent Richardson, and, and they were going to be the stars of the show. So it, we never really saw, you never saw Julio Jones in this style of offense. Amari um, Cooper, a little bit more so. Um, they opened things up a little bit in his final season here. Um, but, um, you know, it's hard to say. I think he's he's as a comp, he's more accomplished than all of them. Would I pick him over those two if I had to make a draft of the best college receiver? I think that's a, a interesting conversation, the one where you know I could go a number of different directions, and you know I wouldn't have a a solid number one pick where I would definitely pick that guy over many others because they were all pretty pretty solid in their own right. And you kind of mentioned, too, right, that, you know, like, what would Julio have done this offense? And obviously, like, in 09 when Julio, Greg McElroy were there, they, they didn't run this type of offense, even when McCarron was there. Why do you think, when did you think this switch happened for Nick Saban when he was like, okay, instead of doing run the ball three yards, cloud of dust, we're, we're going to spread it out. Why do you think that change happened? Because I can't imagine that is easy for a guy like Nick Saban to do. Well, why do you think that change came about? Fast-paced offenses, the Ole Miss beating them twice, uh, Auburn, uh, Texas A&M. The Texas A&M 12 game with Johnny Mansell was a huge turning point in um, maybe the philosophy that he knew he had to evolve, um, find coordinators and the talent that would be more of a modern style game than the, the heavy running game. You know, they weren't, a, you know, it wasn't Army of the. 1950s, but it was it wasn't the most modern of, of offenses for for a good stretch there. Um, but they, they kind of wanted to use the personnel they had, and they went out and recruited different personnel, um, different styles of quarterbacks, bringing in you know, Jalen Hurts, Tua, Tungabala, uh, Bryce Young, the next the next in line in a sense, five star guy from uh, from Southern California, fits more in that line than you know Mac Jones is more of a traditional drop back passer than some of the dual threat guys they've had uh, in recent years but I think they've kind of they wanted to adapt to the modern style and show that they could uh, do the same thing and Bear Bryant did the had to have a similar uh, renaissance in his career at Alabama when they were 
you know, the sense was he was starting to fall off uh, in the 70s when they came back and adopted the wishbone offense and kind of had a resurgence uh, to, to end his career. So somewhat similar in that sense. How does Nick Saban compare to Bear Bryant in Alabama football lore? And in college football coaching lore? You know, it's one of those things where it's another one of those hypotheticals where it's like they just came from different eras, they coached different times. You know, I'd rather have Nick Saban in this era than maybe Bear Bryant back in his where it's just it's almost a different style, almost a totally different sport now compared to then. But, you know, it's it's a generational, if you ask someone who's – Older in Alabama, they'd say Bear Bryant, and a younger person would say Nick Saban. But um, I think Saban's the right guy for this era. He's kind of proven himself uh, with the six. I mean, he's had six championships in 12 years, where Bryant had his spread out over a longer period. So maybe in that sense, he's, he's been more efficient with it. How long, how much longer do you think Nick is going to stay at Alabama? That's a good question. It's one that everyone's been asking. He's been offering no hints as to what his um, timetable is, if he has one. So, um, you know, it's, there are people trying to read tea leaves, read this and that. It's just it's hard to say. He's gonna. He said he's gonna do it as long as he can, and uh, you know he hasn't shown any indication that that that's um, you know he's 69 years old. Doesn't show any any indications that that's coming to an end anytime soon. Do you think he's thought about it? Like, like, do you think he's kind of thought about it? Maybe he's just not saying it, or, or do you think he's given really no thought? That's I, I don't want to speculate for what he's what he's thinking or what he you know. It's, he's, his mind is different than most of ours. It's hard to climb into there and, and, and assume what he's thinking. Um, I, it, it would be a pure guess if I were to say. So now I want to go to this. So. When he does leave, who what do you think Alabama? Because obviously, if you're replacing Nick Saban, obviously you know Alabama. That's the premier job in college football. You know, people have talked about that maybe Dabo Sweeney would go there. I think I've heard people say Kirby Smart. Obviously, you see like right at Ohio State, Urban Meyer had uh, Ryan Day, who kind of came, and Bob Stoops had uh, Lincoln Riley. What do you think would happen when he leaves? Like, like who, who do you think are some guys who could be the potential next head coach? It's, it really it depends on what time and who's hot and what's going on in that moment. It's kind of without knowing when that time is and who's you know who's who's doing well at that moment. It's it's all a guesswork. Um, Dabo Sweeney's been you know there's a name that's been obvious to people as a graduate of the program that people have thrown around, but he's pretty much indicated he doesn't want to. It's not really his interest that he wants to turn Clemson into Alabama instead of you know, following and the footsteps of Nick Saban. Um, so it's, you know, it's one of the things where it's hard to, it's hard to really know unless, you know, if you have a expiration date that you're sure of and, you know, knowing exactly who's, who's doing well at that moment. Um, and it's, it's a tough, it's a tough job to want to take in the wake of Saban. It's going to take a lot of, um, with quite a bit of confidence to be able to step in, uh, assuming, they're still at the top when he, he steps out that anybody, you know, anything anything less than what Saban did would be a failure, um, and any early success would be attributed to just being Nick Saban's players and holdovers, so it's a tough job. Um, there's a reason why Ray Perkins didn't last too long uh, after Bear Bryant, and it was, you know, established themselves after he retired in 83, so it's a tough job, uh, you know, take a special person to want to take uh, take that responsibility. So before you kind of mention Bryce Young, can you just explain to people who like Bryce Young is in case they don't know who he is, right? Uh, he was a five-star, I believe, uh, and you said he was from Cali. Just what type of prospect is he, and what, what can people kind of maybe expect from him for next year? Yeah, uh, he was, uh, depending on which recruiting service, one of the top overall prospects from that 20, uh, 20 class. Um, yeah, there was... Given a full spring, the, the talk was that he would have possibly competed with with Mac Jones at a certain point in the season, but the season was so structured so differently, didn't have the non-conference games to to give him as many snaps as he normally would have in, in more lopsided style games. So he didn't get in there as much. He was he got in a couple games, and you could tell he's got a strong arm, um, got a good accuracy. Um, Saban, when he first 
got here was very high on, on Bryce Young, casting the kind of praise you don't normally hear him talk about with a signee. Uh, he enrolled early, was was there for spring, would have been there for spring practice, but ended up not happening. So that that didn't help his cause of development um, to be a viable candidate as a quarterback, a starter. But, um, you know, he has, he has potential and, you know, he's pretty much the only real option right now um, at quarterback after Matt Jones goes pro. So they're a little thin there um, in terms of experience or, or true, um, you know, a talent at this point. So I do answer this. So, right, we kind of mentioned how great Alabama was. Uh, and most people would say the SEC, I think. Well, undoubtedly, the SEC is the best conference of college football. In terms of all the teams Alabama played this year, because there was a lot of talk that people were like, Notre Dame shouldn't be in. Texas A&M uh, should have been, been in. That was a team uh, that Alabama, they blew them out too. Who, out of all the teams that Alabama faced all year, can you kind of give a hierarchy in terms of how good you think those teams were in terms of how they compared to Alabama? From the A&M's to the Notre Dame's, you know, to Florida and the SEC championship game to an Ohio State, like in terms of how they all compared to Alabama? I guess Florida might have been similar in a sense offensively, had this, the explosive passing game, didn't have the running game to complement it, but was still able to put 46 points uh, on Alabama with pretty much solely using the passing game. Um Elite talent with the quarterback, Cobb uh, Pitts at tight end, Tony at receiver. They were they were pretty solid. Um, Notre Dame. I don't know if they had the the athletes um, to compete on the edges with Alabama defensively. Alabama kind of torched them with um, outside screens, um, getting the ball in space. Um, I think that kind of Alabama kind of exposed them in that sense with that game. Um, you know, Ohio State was probably built in a similar a similar mold, similar model. Um, there's you know, an SEC-style team playing in the Big Ten with uh, the quarterback play, receivers, you know, balance with the running game, but not an old-fashioned running game. So I guess Ohio State might have been the more similar comparison to Alabama, um, just in the structure of their, their roster, how they played. So here's what I ask you. So over the course of Nick Saban's tenure, uh, at Alabama, he's had a lot of great uh, players. I, I just want to know, just for you personally, as long as you've kind of covered the team, just observed it, uh, who would you say is the best running back to come through in the Nick Saban era? I mean, it's tough. Um, you think Derrick Henry, Trent Richardson, Mark, Mark Ingram, um, they're all kind of different in a sense. Um, I mean, Najee Harris is good. He was pretty versatile being able to catch from the coming out of the backfield but so was Trent Richardson and Mark Ingram um uh Derrick Henry might have been the one who was able to take over a game more um than any of them that he probably had to carry the heaviest burden the heaviest load for a, a championship team so um in terms of most valuable I'd probably say Derrick Henry give me the top for you your top three defensive players of the Nick Saban era Time to think about that because there were some really good ones. Um, I mean, is Minka in there? Uh, yeah, I'm sorry. Minka, Minka Fitzpatrick was pretty versatile. Um, we had some guys who were around longer. Um, some guys had one season that was um, pretty big. I mean, you had like people like Ruben Foster, Rhonda McLean was was pretty dominant uh, in the 09 championship team. But uh, that's something I have to sit down and think about. Really, I don't want to leave anybody out, but really think about those those kinds of things. Because um, there's, there's just quite a few guys who could, could make that cut. And I do want to ask you this. So with Jalen Hurts and Tua, obviously when the whole uh, right the whole quarterback controversy, so to speak, uh, went, went down um, and uh, – Jalen Hurts ended up having to transfer. I, I do want to ask you this because we've kind of seen how both of them have looked at the NFL. And, you know, I, I think at first in college football, a couple of years ago, people would have said Tua is without a doubt better. And now maybe it's closer. And it'll all be, remain to be seen what Tua does with the Dolphins and what Hurts does with the Eagles. But how close do you think they actually were? I don't think they were close at all. At when that 
2018 season, um, I don't think there was any even. I don't think there was even much of a competition when Tua came back after the second 27, second 26 to the championship throw. After you know, in his sophomore season, I don't think it was really much of a competition. It was he was by far a better quarterback than, than Jalen Hurts was, and in that system, um, and Jalen definitely went on to have a really good season at, at Oklahoma. Uh, obviously playing well in the NFL, but I don't think there was um, it was clear where the offense was going, and it was. It's going to be with Tua and, and not Jalen in that 2018 season. Now, how much better do you think Tua was the year before? Because obviously, you know, Jalen Hurts was benched in that championship game in 2017 when he throws a touchdown pass to Devontae Smith against Georgia. Do you think, because at that point in time, I think I, I might have read something that uh, if Tua doesn't play, like he might transfer, like all this other stuff's going on. You don't know ne- what necessarily is true or what not about all that, but but... Was there a competition going on them too between that time? Like, how was that all going on? Because this kind of started. Because I think when people talk about this, it was kind of it wasn't just 2018. Like, Tua was there in 2017 as well, and Tua was a highly talented recruit. Right. Yeah, I mean, there was. I'm sure there was behind the scenes. I mean, it's hard to say how he would have done in the you know playing full games uh, in that season. Um, the coaches uh, they, they decided to keep Jalen as a starter. Uh, and straight up through the second half of that championship game, even though he was struggling, um, he was definitely struggling down the stretch. It was not great uh, for a couple games before being benched at halftime. Um, but you know, I, I can't say how Tua would have done. Guy that just didn't have didn't have that opportunity to see how he played until he he came into that championship game and obviously checked every box you could have done in that second half in overtime. Um, to kind of show what was what was to come with this offense. Michael, I want to thank you for coming on the podcast, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. And once again, I want to thank Michael Casagrande for coming on the show. I really appreciate him spending time out of his busy schedule to come on the shop. And I want to thank all of you for tuning into this episode, the 257th episode of Barbershop Sports Talk!